patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everybody and welcome to episode 64 of friends and fellow citizens i'm your host sherman talosky thank you so much for joining us today if you like this content make sure to subscribe to our email list if you haven't already on our main website and subscribe to your favorite podcast app i am now very excited to introduce today's guest Lily Tong Williams was a law school assistant professor in Fudan University who became an American entrepreneur and an educator. She is currently co-chair of New Hampshire Asian American Coalition, chair of WARE, Republican Committee, elected supervisor of the checklist in the town of WARE, New Hampshire. Born to illiterate working class parents in China's western Sichuan province just before Mao's Cultural Revolution, Lily Tom Williams grew up experiencing extremely poor living conditions, food rationing, social chaos, and communist indoctrination. She came to America in 1988 to study in a graduate school. Lily ran for Colorado State House in 2014 and ran for the U.S. Senate in 2016. Today, Lily has her own businesses and relishes the freedom, independence, and prosperity she found in America. She loves her new country and travels frequently throughout the states to share the story of her American dream and educate people about the horrors of communism, Marxism, and Maoism. Lily has contributed her opinion articles to the National Review, Town Hall, The Epic Times, Union Leader, and The Concord Monitor. She also appeared on Fox News, Tim Cast, Huckabee TV, John Stossel, Joe Page's show, and many other shows and podcasts. Lily is on the Speakers Bureau of Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. She has been speaking to students in middle schools, high schools, and colleges in the past four years across the country. Now, let's welcome our guest, Lily Tong Williams. Lily, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. Well, thank you for having me, Sherman. Not a problem, and I, I truly thank you so much for, for taking time out of your really busy schedule. This topic about the Chinese Communist Party is such an important one, not just for me personally, but I think for people all across the world. Before we get to a discussion about the CCP and really what it's all about, give us a bit of an overview about you know where you're originally from and how you initially got started to coming to America in, in 1988 and live such a totally different life than the one they initially came from? Well, I was born in Chengdu, which is the capital city of Sichuan province in southwestern China, next to Tibet. And I always loved mountains because Sichuan had lots of big, tall mountains, of course, near Tibet in the west. And Chengdu is uh, actually a valley itself. So I was born right before the Mao's great proletarian cultural revolution and uh, to a working class poor illiterate parents. So when you talk about communism, you would think the workers rule, right? That's what typically Marxists would believe. But uh, instead, our living conditions was very, very primitive. And talk about poverty. Imagine eight families share one bathroom, a big hole on the ground, and to actually, and like a man, woman, all share this big hole on the ground, but with divider in the middle. So when you go to the bathroom, you catch, actually can hear each other and talk to each other. <laughs> and, uh, and no, and it, it's just very primitive. And one water faucet, you're out of luck. If the water is gone that day. So my dad is not educated, but he's very straight smart. He built an outdoor container to hold water, to reserve water. And we burn coals in our 
outdoor primitive kitchen to cook. That is a community housing. That's the only thing we got for free from my dad's state enterprise because there's no private company existed. And, uh, but everything else, our schools, childcare, healthcare, education, we all had to pay for it. I just remember my parents even asked me to babysit my infant brother just because they could not afford his infant care. So I was six years old, stay home by myself to babysit my, like a eight months old baby brother or something. It was very scary, you know. <laughs> so, so by the time I went to school, I was very motivated, motivated, good student and did the best I could. And so after I went through all that cultural revolution, indoctrination, government schools, went to college in Shanghai, study law. So by the time I truly woke up to say, I got to get out of China. And then finally, I did get out. I arrived in America in Austin, Texas airport two months before my 24th birthday, like your age. <laughs> and it was a long journey to uh, also to wake up to leave China. You know, it, 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 it's hard to tell in one hour story, of course, but but I, I, I just cannot believe that uh, now I'm here to share that story. Your story truly is an inspirational one. And I want to focus now on the indoctrination part. And uh, I'd like to ask you to expand a little bit more about what this indoctrination means. Because a lot of Americans, even including myself, have never lived through that. Uh, give us a sense of what that indoctrination was like and how that affected you and the rest of society. Uh, as you know it, in China. So I was in government schools from 7 to 12. When I was 12, Mao died. So during the Mao's Cultural Revolution, which lasted 10 years, 1966 to 1976, and we um, went to government schools, the whole country basically was totally social political chaos, loudspeakers everywhere, and one party, CCP, controls all the press, all the media, and all the schools. They control everything and control people's daily lives. Uh, we lived in an apartment uh, next to a high school, my high school, and you can hear loudspeakers in the morning, 6.30, to play revolutionary songs, get the people to wake up, to go to work, go to school, and then the news, then the red songs. You know, these red songs is all about parties, all about worship, Mao, like a god. So in schools, we um, had to memorize Chairman Mao's little red books, what he said, and, uh, and, and hold it like this, long live Chairman Mao, long live Communist Party, 10,000 years, double 10,000 years. So before you study, you had to do all that chanting. During the Cultural Revolution, he shut down schools first. He used the young people like Red Guards to basically purge his political enemies and to achieve his uh, absolute control status. And uh, he, his campaign is called getting rid of four old, old idea, habit, you know, custom and the culture. And then separate people into oppressor versus oppressed. And under oppressor, you have five black classes and oppressed five red classes. And you get 10 classes, Chinese people fight each other tooth and nail. So by the time the school restarted, opened, I went to school. We were still doing class struggles per mile. I went to school uh, as a first grader. As I said, that was during the still Mao's 10 years cultural revolution. And school opened up to us, little kids, where all the my uncle generation red guards were sent to countryside to be re-educated by peasants. But we were still doing all the rituals. Like, as I said, before we study, we would have a like, classroom gathering and uh, holding Chairman Mao's little red books to recite his book, like one paragraph. And then we chant to say, long live Chairman Mao, long live Communist Party, 10,000 years, another 10,000 years, and double 10,000 years. When you add all that together, it's funny that we never challenge that. You know, it's like, uh, is he God or is he human? You know, it's like, no, we just never challenge that. We're told that's what we 
did. And uh, and and also um, Young Pioneer, which is Mao's grassroots organization for elementary school students. So if you were a good student politically, physically, academically, you get nominated by teacher to join Mao's Young Pioneer. Also, of course, you have to be a red child, which is from red class, cannot be from black class families, and they were banned from joining all Mao's organizations. I was red child, very good memory. So I, I basically, um, in order to be Join, be able to join in mouse organizations. I learned at the age of seven, I need to comply. I need to hide myself true colors. <laughs> Here's a story I tell people. I, I told my girlfriend to say, I will be the first one join Young Pioneer because I'm best student. And she reported on me to the teacher. And my teacher said, uh, I'm not going to let you join first group because you were full of yourself. You were too confident. So too confident, standing up, express your personal confidence in yourself. It's a flaw. It's a bad flaw. It's not conforming. So I learned I cannot trust my friends. You cannot even trust your family members during the Cultural Revolution. They could report to somebody, you know. If they were Communist Party members or they want to be politically correct, that's how sick the society was. So I learned basically to confirm, to move up. And uh, by the time I enter middle school, I even become red guards. I have all the you know pictures and uniform to show that. And uh, um, in order to be, uh, of course, uh, um, to join all those organizations, need you need to learn in line with party and policies and doing all the right things. We had a weekly political study or called the moral character education class. You have to do well. You have to, you know, basically be very PC, you know, be very, very outspoken, supporting the party and show you love, affection for Mao. And uh, I, I was so indoctrinated actually at some point. I, I, I can see Mao talking to me from like a sky, like he's smiling at me from clouds. Then his face will show up in the fire when we burn a wood to do stir fry, like get big walk, you know, and down there is a fire. It was like he would talk to me because they shut down all the churches, all the religions, but they want you to believe in Mao. They want you to believe in the party. They don't want any competition. Your loyalty allegiance have to be totally to CCP. It's like they see all the other religions and gods as a competition. <laughs> so I was raised as Buddhist, and my mom, my grandma were Buddhist, very peaceful religion. I cannot go to churches, go to temples because they were shut down. Some were burned down to the ground, and the Christians have to denounce their Bibles, and. Uh, you cannot join. You will be black class if you join other religion or you tell people you believe in other gods. So I was totally brainwashed, you know. And I never heard of actually about Christianity or Jesus until I think I, I, I knew about God when I was in college, but I did not hear anything about Jesus Christ until I come to the United States. <laughs> you know, think about that. And that, that in, that in high school, and continue, uh, when Mao died in 1976, we were able to question a little bit what happened, and we were able to go to college again. That's when I determined what happened to my generation. I was totally lost, depressed, actually, lost the soul because you lost your religion. So many years in government schools and chanting, chanting, it's like they were questioning anything. So I had some brain left. I started crashing. I said, well, I'm going to search for truth in college. So I decided to go to law school. Why law? Because my teacher told me he was prosecuted in the 50s as a fresh college graduate, sent to labor camps because they gave feedback to the party about how to build new China. And they asked for feedback, and college students were naive, gave feedback. Then he was sent to the labor camps to hurt his back, his health. He told me, our country is ruled by men, a few men, not rule of law. 
So I just got this ambition. I was very naive. Oh, I'm going to help my motherland to be, you know, transition to a rule of law society. So I was age of 17 and passed three days, eight hours a day, nationalized college interest exam to go to college in Shanghai, the, you know, to study law. And, uh, but the, the indoctrination I got as a child, it's not that easy to get rid of. So I did start to become rebellious and question everything. But in college, I got lost again because I was told, what is the law? It's not what you think for liberty and justice. It's, we were told the law is a tool for the party to use to govern the masses, Soviet Union model. So law is not for protection of citizens at all. I did not know what I should believe. So I just started to go to dancing parties, rebelling and escape classes. And we still had loudspeaker come on in college, like da, 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 da in the morning and news and songs. And, and uh, you could not sleep in until the music loudspeaker is shut down, you know. So, and that's when I met some foreign students. And the other, I was desperate to, connect with them to say, tell us what life is like outside of China. Remember Taiwan, China always had a very tricky relationship. When I was growing up, we were told Taiwanese people are suffering. We need to go liberate them. <laughs> That's all we're told. And always go to liberate Taiwan because they were suffering, they were starving. But we were starving and some people starving to death. So I just wonder why, you know, how, how worse off other country people would be because uh, we were really hungry. <laughs> Every two hours, I feel very hungry, you know, and we were living on food rationing coupons by the local government. So in, in college, I started to question my, you know, youth indoctrination and many this college student and from America. And he told me about America, about the founding father's document, he carried a pocket constitution and he said uh, my English wasn't good enough to even understand what he was saying. All I remember, he told me the first paragraph of the Declaration of Independence is like a, all men are created equal. And I even don't understand what do you mean all men are created equal? And uh, then he explained to me very slowly it doesn't matter, you're Chinese, you have yellow skin, you're a woman, and you are created by your creator, God. You have an individual right, but not given to you by your government. Individual right was a brand new concept to me. That just make my light bulb come on. Dun dun, you know, I never turn that off. And uh, to go to see a foreign student, a foreign professor, you need to register at their gate at their building. Who do you gonna visit? There's always a secure, a guard, like a lady or, or old man there. Uh, and where is your dormitory? What do you study? They took all down all your information. What do you talk about? What time you go in? What time you come out? They trying to limit our access to the foreign student and scholars because they trying to limit the truth available to us. And uh, so after my light bulb came on, I, I was a third year, um, probably junior student in college. So about 19, 20 years old. And, uh, and my light bulb come out and say, Hey, you know what? I have an individual right. So next time when I go back to visit this uh, American student, I just, uh, you know, ticked up, you know, like a very quiet, they slick upstairs when the lady is not paying attention, go to the bathroom and, uh, so I was like a straight rat, right? Like I have to avoid. Yeah, a registration. I for I I had some brain left. What did this American student and I talk about? It will not be PC, and they will not like it. I if I register, I cannot tell them the truth anyway. So I might just uh, you know sneak around. And so now he told me a little bit more about America, the separation of powers, bill of rights, and especially be able to vote for your leaders and the freedom of religion and freedom to own arms. It's like, a, wow, this is awesome country. If I have to leave China someday, this is a country 
I would go to because I just don't trust Europe still have kings and queens or whatever their old system. They don't have this funding documents guaranteed constitutional rights. So, but I still wanted to change China. So by the time I graduated, I was 21 years old. China that time in the 80s went through cultural renaissance. We had the rock and roll. We were talking about, you know, not just economical reforms, what the kind of country we wanted to have, what kind of citizens and rights we should have. It was a great time up to that point in my whole life. And that leads to Tiananmen Square later, 1989, massive peaceful protest. Because the 80s, we were talking about those things. And, and um, I remember lots of good songs, you know, in, in universities. So anyway, that uh, college life was great until I graduated. Until I graduated, my reality kicked in, you know, then we can follow up with that too. <laughs> yes, we absolutely will. I just want to take a moment and realize how intrusive such a government can be, not just within government, but within the lives of countless people. I mean, it's it's just mind-blowing. I think the closest this country has been to some, this kind of intrusiveness is you know, just before the American Revolution. And even that, with the difference in technology and all and the rest, that isn't really even a close second. Uh, I just bring that up because that's something that I'm thinking about and maybe a lot of people in the audience are as well. Young people here don't understand the horrors of communism and socialism. Uh, we call the Chinese economy with the socialist characteristics. They don't understand. Once you have 1% of people ruling over 99% of people and uh, you are empowering dictators, you know, for example, they don't understand when I was growing up, they dictate your hairstyle, okay? You have to have a correct hairstyle approved, like the North Korean people today. Then girls cannot wear beautiful dresses and clothes and approved colors, like all very, very robotic and plain and conforming, like white, you know, green and navy blue. And, uh, and, and what, what kind of songs and music you are going to listen to? What kind of art class drawings you are allowed to draw? And there was no comedy, especially but political comedy. You cannot mock. You cannot talk about anything political. Our daily life were totally controlled, not just by central government in Beijing, but by provincial government, which is controlled by one party, and the city government, one party. And all those leaders were not elected. They were appointed all the way down to your neighborhood, Communist Party Block Committee. So every neighborhood block committee, those leaders will come to your home, sit on your bed. We only had a two-room apartment, no living room, no bedroom. It's just two rooms. And so sometimes they come to our apartment. There was no chair to sit on. They just sit on your bed and talk to you to say, hey, are we politically correct? Are we supporting the party? Anything you need to report? No privacy. Privacy and private property were alien concept to us. So I started to discover all that in college. I was so interested in Knowing the truth, what is their life is like in other countries. So this guy just put this America concept in my brain. So when I graduated, I said, uh, after one year, I feel like I had no academic freedom. I had to teach what they want me to teach. And the worst part is every department in college has a Communist Party committee, and the Communist Committee chair is more powerful than your academic dean in your college. So you have two lines of supervision, but the Communist Party Committee is more powerful. And, and this boss came talk to me when I was in law school and told me it's not politically correct for me to go to dancing parties with my friends. That was my personal freedom and my personal relaxation time outside of work. I was just one year older than some other college students. I was just 21. And they started to dictate me for my personal freedom. I We did not own anything, but we did not own our bodies either. So he was telling me, 
you're a faculty member now. You should focus on your job, not go to dancing parties with your class, with, with your old friends. As college students, they think those kids were just not much mature yet. So after one year in fact in law school, plus I know what the law purpose is, is just a governor, governing class tool to govern the people. I, I really just, I just could not imagine how I'm going to spend rest of my life in China, have no personal freedom, no choices. I had to comply, no free speech, free thoughts, free expressions. No, not even go to dancing parties to free socialize. With my friends, life was hell, right? If you think about that. So I decided I need to figure out how to leave China. But it's not that easy. You need the permission to quit your job, to apply for passport. So I had to change my strategy because if I was fighting with my communist department chair, he would never give me permission to leave. I would be trapped. And after I come to the United States for 10 years, I was still dreaming, but I was traveling China. That's why I'm so happy here, you know. And so I had to change my strategy to go to his political weekly meetings to say, Kumbayang, Kumbayang, because to teach in law school, you had to join the party, CCP. Otherwise, they question your loyalty. You will not be able to teach students. So I had to join the party, but they put me on the probation status. I had to show my performance. If I look at him, silence, they challenge him. I, to, I, I don't think that will work for me to leave China. <laughs> I know. So I had to say, okay, I support party policy. I start to speak up and show my public support. And then later, you know, about one year, I changed my um, attitude. I said, can I leave? I got enrolled to UT Austin, Texas to get a master's degree. And that will help me to do my job. I, I will come back, serve my country. You have to do all that political stuff. So he said, uh, oh, you have been performing well. Uh, I'm going to sign you off, but you need to sign this agreement. The agreement is that I promise to go back to China after my master's degree, you know, about three years. Or... Two consequences, we kick you off at the party, okay? I did not want to really join anyway. But the second one is hard. The second one is they're going to send my personnel file to Chengdu. Say so they track Chinese citizens by using two systems. It's like a national ID. Household registration. You were born to your parents. Your parents had to register with local police station. And you are trapped where you're supposed to live and work. And that's your papers to get the benefits, government benefits, including going to schools, open up a bank account. So they know everybody in your family household registration and uh, who they are, where they live. Then when you become student, they track you by student file. It's a secret. Your parents and you were never allowed to see what's inside. And that, that student file becomes secret personnel file that go with my job. So everybody can see what's inside of my, my file from government agencies and my future employers, but I was not allowed to see what's inside. I had no idea still what's inside. Now it's in Chengdu, probably police station somewhere, because they said, well, if you don't come back, we're going to kick your file back to Chengdu. That means I could not go back to Shanghai to get my old job back, and that I could not work living in Shanghai, which is more commercialized international city than Chengdu, more isolated, Western town. That was tough. That means I got to make it in this country. I, if I go back, I'm, I don't know where I would be. So I signed it. I signed it. And uh, thank goodness, I got my visa, got my passport. I came to the United States, 1988. As I said, two months before my 24th birthday, and I did not have a anything except $100 borrowed. I cannot speak English. I owe my American professor as my sponsor $1,200 for air tickets, graduation phase, TOEFL phase, all that. It's negative. I would say negative beginning, not even zero. It's negative beginning because I was in debt. But when I arrived in Austin, Texas that day, I had a big smile on my face. That was my happiest day in my life up to that point. I have picture to show that. <laughs>
Wow, that is incredible, incredible experience you must have had just to land in Austin, Texas to see this amazing country. I don't know, by the way, I don't know how you got those amazing acting lessons and fooled the Chinese Communist Party. You had to, you had to survive, right? You had to survive and escape. You had to plan your escape. Otherwise, how could you do it? You know. So I, I always call myself like I survived communist China by being almost like a stray rat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, at least it worked. That's the most important part of it. I want to turn to where China is nowadays. Think of everything from the social credit system to how they treat Taiwan, the just in, inhumane treatment of the Uyghur population. When it comes to particularly something like how China has handled COVID, what do you think about what China is doing as it continues to hinder the worldwide investigation and the answers that we need about the origins of the coronavirus pandemic? I I, I keep reminding I keep reminding Americans and especially you know I see the media don't go after China for their true numbers. What do you think when all the leaders at all levels of government are appointed, not elected by the people? Do they care about people's well-being? No. Do they tell the truth? No, because they're afraid of getting fired if they report the truth. So since uh, all the major um, like uh, tragedies happen in China, the first reaction by the local officials is always covering up, covered up, silence the dissident. So people know about Dr. Li group, doctors who were very brave, courageous to come out to say, hey, there's this virus going on. We need to investigate it. And the local police in Wuhan arrested those doctors, asked them to go to the police station to sign a paper to say they promise will not spread the misinformation, you know, so-called the truth. So the China government is responsible. CCP is responsible for covering up this virus caused so many lives lost. And But our media, we're not going after them. They took China's number, death number 3,300 and uh, um, whatever. They never questioned them. Since last summer, China just stopped reporting. And WHO, when China, they were in the pocket of Chinese government, the CCP, and they covered up too. So there were about six weeks to two months delays for the world to know the truth, for the WHO to declare pandemic and a, it's a human to human, you know, transmission of the virus. It was too late. Before they shut down Wuhan, right before Chinese New Year, last, like uh, January of 2020, 5 million people out of uh, 12 million people in Wuhan left Wuhan. They went to all over the China for Chinese New Year. Lots of them went to overseas for vacations, like especially the partners with China's Silk Road Initiative, Spain, Italy. They got hit so hard, it just started to, you know, like go viral. And uh, the thing is, though, I, I, I just cannot believe we modeled after China's hardcore shutdown, also terrain shutdowns, once the COVID, you know, become, um, you know, pretty widespread in this country. Yeah, you know, two or three weeks, flat the curve, I understand that. But now, look, we are what? Almost uh, over 18 months. It, it's just like, why are we going after China's models? Why the media is repeating China's numbers, China's rhetorics, immigrants like me are just very, very worried. And then during the pandemic, look what China did. They conquered Hong Kong. They imposed national security law. They arrested all the democracy, peaceful protest leaders, including even Jamie Nye, the Apple Daily, the outspoken, truth-telling Apple Daily CEO, billionaire was 
arrested. Now they are threatening Taiwan to say liberate Taiwan. I belong to my、um, classmates WeChat group. We don't talk about politics, but I can tell they all were talking about potential war between China and Taiwan and attacking United States. You know, it, it, I don't know how bad the propaganda is there today, but you can easily find out if you follow the Global Times, the Chinese official propaganda Twitter account, and People's Daily, all that propaganda, you know, largest newspaper. They 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 control all the press. They control all the truth. I don't know why anybody would believe their numbers at all. And、uh, the thing is, though, Chinese people inside China. Just like me when I was there, you have no way to know the truth. The true internet firewall block you from access Google, Twitter, and Facebook. Hey, but the government officials and pro-government people have access to those. They are giving us special privilege. So I'm very worried. They have infiltrated into United States and Western democracy countries for a long time. You know they.、Uh, After the Tiananmen Square massacre, 1989, they even made a deal. The Chinese government made a deal with the Clinton administration to join WTO, but they never even complied with WTO. You know, like the responsibility terms and conditions. And then, then American government has been so naive. They let Confucius Institute. Infiltrate into Western countries, including Australia, including European countries, America, so they can indoctrinate our students from K, you know, from the middle school, high school, and colleges to talk about glorify China, use the name of teaching language and culture. But that is Chinese government funded organization, and I think last year, um,、uh, that was like a. Maybe the 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 Trumps, uh, um, I think, a order to say shut down all the Confucius Institute. We had one in New Hampshire in the university. All the public funded schools. It's just amazing. How can we let them come in? Then to buy our companies, buy the land, and get into media, and and push NBA sports organizations, and push Hollywood movies to all censor themselves. Look what happened to NBA. The player Cantor, outspoken against the cultural genocide in China, and the Chinese immediately, the government, of course, the company pressured by government immediately, cut ties with that group. You know, I I think people got to wake up in this world. If the world is bullied by the Communist Party of China, by the largest totalitarian country in the world. Do not hope freedom, democracy will prevail. I think the world will be a very dark place. I absolutely agree with you. And just take something like the Confucius Institute, which has been a major national security concern for the United States government. The fact that Mao went after old history and culture, and then to brand. Essentially, a a branch of the Chinese Communist Party in the United States that just goes to show that they don't mean it when they say Confucius Institute. It's just a way f- for them to disguise something that isn't genuine, that doesn't represent what true Chinese history is. I want to now go to a topic that has gotten a lot of attention recently, which is about critical race theory. Particularly in schools, it concerns parents and teachers, and now government officials. Referring to you, your, your article in the Concord Monitor, which I'll link down in the show notes below. What are your thoughts about critical race theory and how it really imposes something of a bad narrative that is not only unnecessary but also detrimental to education? Well, that、uh, I wrote a open ad、um, called "A Chinese Immigrant Warning on Critical Race Theory." This whole theory, and、uh, with the social justice movement, with cancel culture, really scared 
immigrants like me who fled oppressive regimes. The terms they use, the tactics they use, the divide and conquer identity politics really remind us what we went through already during the Mao's Cultural Revolution. On my YouTube channel, there are four immigrants from China. Survivor of Mao's Cultural Revolution come out to say, stop Cultural Revolution in America. See, people in this country never lost their freedom, never went through that kind of oppressive regimes. They don't understand oppressor versus oppressed. Those are communist divisions and Marxist, Maoist. Then under Mao, then you have five black classes under oppressor group, then five red classes under oppressed group. People can Google them, you know, and then get the people fighting each other in order to do his cultural revolution, to enhance his power, to make him a godlike leader. He had to instill hatred into citizens' mind to get the Chinese people fight each other. But the thing is, though, when you look at his uh, terms, right? Oh, black classes include landowners, rightists, bad influencers, and uh, county revolutionary. Who define those terms? Very subjective. The ruling party, the leaders define those terms. So it doesn't matter who you are. If you are dissident, they just put a head on you. You are county revolutionary. They knock you up, send you to concentration camps. And you have no due process anyway because there's no rule of law. So in this country, they don't use a class. They used to use class, did not go very far. And now they use cultural Marxism to do cultural wars and by dividing people based on their skin color and race. Because I think the radical leftists, Marxists, understand it is hard maybe to sell straight communism to the American people. But they know there's a very strong racial conflict in history and slavery and civil rights movement. And uh, actually, I learned a little bit of history about America after I come to this uh, country. And uh, I think I really believe all men are created equal. And America has made big progress after the civil rights movement. Individual racist cases, of course, they do exist, might exist for a long time. But they want to attack America still today to call that systemic racist country. I just cannot buy it because I have friends from all walks of life here, all skin colors. We don't judge each other on their skin colors, on their race. You know, I'm Chinese and, uh, you know, people trying to get me as people of color, what, to hate white supremacists, to hate white people, they're born racist. I just cannot buy it. I'm married to one anyway, <laughs> and I went to Austin, Texas, and live in a very white dominant neighborhood because of my sponsors and other people offered me free housing. I was a very poor foreign student, and the people were so wonderful to me. They were curious about me, uh, aging looking face in their street, but they offered me you know, go shopping and uh, give me the free kitchenware, blankets, clothing. They were so generous and so welcoming. I, I just cannot recall one bad discrimination case against me. I've been here for 33 years, except one case. It was a road rage case. A woman trying to call me bad names. I stood up for myself, then she's gone. She thought I could not even speak English. But I actually spoke very well that time and uh, reasoning with her and she's, she, she did not want to fight me. So I'm in New Hampshire now, 93% white population here. How could you condemn a large group of people by simply generalize, oh, the whole race? It's very dangerous when you get people fighting each other Instead, you like it. 
and happily living together as fellow citizens and help each other out, build our communities, enhance mutual understanding and respect. I think、uh, America does not want to go down the path of those totalitarian regimes. They always want to divide people, and、uh, if they do not divide people, then they cannot win, because you know in this country. If we all love each other, regardless of our differences, we respect each other. Then there's no cultural revolution. But look what they're doing now: changing names and the mobs dominating street, top-down sanctions, burning down stuff. And if you say anything, even as a comedian now, look at Dave Chappelle's case. If you say anything, that other people can cancel you from the left side. Do we still have free speech? You don't have to agree with him, but always want to bully people to cancel them, make them to shut up.、Uh, it's like a cut out people's tongue. It, it because you don't want to listen to what they have to say. You know that's very dangerous trend. I love when you presented your vision for an America that strives to be a better place for everyone. That no matter what background you have, or what your skin color is, your gender, you can have a home here, and enjoy the freedoms and the opportunities that are here in this country. And you're not afraid to show the parallels between critical race theory and cancel culture, with the things that you what yourself went through. I really admire that courage so much. We need more of those in our country. And this is why your story is such an important one. I like to now connect all of these with George Washington's six principles from the farewell address in 1796. While he didn't obviously witness what happened, what was happening in Mao's China, I think this is such a relevant connection.、Uh, what would you say would be the kind of connections to things like patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, and civility, as outlined in Washington's farewell address. Well,、um, that's why I feel it is my destiny to come out, educate、um, the public, and share my personal stories. What the real poverty oppression is. After I. What I went through in China without any personal privacy and uh, um, ownership and the freedom and the rights, and I don't want the Marxists here to tell me I'm supposed to be oppressed, victim, minority. We come here to achieve American dream. I'm living American dream. Consider my negative beginning. I have three home business. I live this fantastic home, and、uh, and our children were born in this great country. And I try to teach them about my stories, appreciate their freedom they have. It's like a. I just don't understand why people here wanted to vote. Support their own future oppression. That's what happens when you vote for bigger government and、uh, not follow constitution, citizens' rights, and respect each other. You are going to be enslaved by the Marxist communists. You are not one percent the political ruling class. So George Washington is one of my favorite founding fathers. He had chance to be asked to be the king. A new king after the Revolutionary War, he said no. You know Chinese history. How many rebels took over, killed the old emperors, and make themselves new emperors for thousands of years? Dynasty changes, but George Washington said no. That's not what I fought for. I really admire that, and that's why they gave us this founding document, and now. The New York Times 1619 project—they're trying to push on to our K-12 schools and colleges. Wanted to call founding fathers are racist. Our 250 years of American some history, the institutions, all the agencies, and our American culture are racist. So what do they want to replace with? After they destroy 
our American system. Americans' founding fathers' documents that outframe our constitutional republic, building principles. They want to replace it with socialism, with cultural Marxism, eventually total communism. Do you really want to go to live like a, how I did? Oh, that was an absolute nightmare. It was like a big iron boots on your neck, twenty-four hours day. You could not breathe. You could not breathe. All you wanted to say, when can I escape? When can I become free? Because human beings, regardless your skin color, your natural desire is to live like humans with a dignity, with a pride, and、uh, with freedom. But if you could not breathe, you could not have any rights and freedom. You would be little slave. So people here constantly talk about division and talk about slavery. There are still slaveries exist in the world in other countries today. Talk about today's Chinese. 1.4 billion people could not vote and could not choose medical decision for themselves. 1 billion Chinese took the vaccine for COVID shots because otherwise you lose your livelihood. And、uh, it's not up to you to choose. And they are tracked 24 hours a day. There were 300,000 public facial recognition cameras in China. When you go get a cell phone, you record your face, you record your voice. So there's no way you can even leave the grades. How come they don't stand up against that kind of real oppression in North Korea, in Cuba, in Venezuela? They don't. How about the Middle East, where women still were forced to have, you know, the genital, you know, cut out for little girls and minor marriages? They don't talk about that. We have a name for those, you know, progressives. We call the Baijiu. That means white liberals. They have this moral superiority, elitist attitude to think. For us, they know the best. You should listen to us. We want to protect you and waste your tax dollars. It's all for public goods. Even journalists who totally were brainwashed to be left. I talked to one journalist in New Hampshire. I said, you know what? People like you should not really support totalitarianism in this country or socialism because in China, as a journalist, you have to get state license to practice. To be a reporter, and you need to be tested for your loyalty. You need to study leader Xi Jinping's thoughts. <laughs> I don't know if he was shocked or not. So they don't understand what they're supporting, and people should wake up now. The country today is in crisis, and I hope we can go back to constitutional republic that the founding father intended. They were humans. They were not perfect. And we can have conversations about what improvement we could have as a country, but identity politics, cancel culture, and this kind of social justice movement—it just reminds immigrants like me. Oh my goodness, we are reliving the cultural revolution in our new beloved country. We better to be organized and speak up, or we will be silenced forever and enslaved forever. I truly feel that it's people like you, Lily, who really add that incredible value to the fabric of our civics. We try to understand every day what our country is, what we were, who we were, who we are now, and whom we want to be in the future. The United States has a really tough mission, but one that is honorable and one that is necessary. That is to really defend those values of freedom and opportunity. You know, there's a saying in in Chinese Chinese that goes "yi shan nan rong er hu," which means that there can never be two tigers on the same mountain. That means that either good or evil is going to prevail. What is your message to Americans and people across the world? But also, tell us about how people can follow you and learn more about what you're doing and all the incredible speaking engagements and missions that you're on right now. 
Well, if you like my stories, um, I have a Facebook page called the Lily for Liberty. L I L Y number four Liberty. I have twenty one thousand followers. I want to double that. I hope you can share my messages and you can private message me from there. I have a Twitter with the same handle, Lily for Liberty, and my Instagram, Lily Tom Williams, to reach out to the young people. And then my YouTube, Lily for、uh, Lily Tom Williams. I have immigrant story there every Sunday coming out from all oppressive countries to appreciate. Their love for this country, and they are defending America, and they are American dreams. Because we all feel like if we lose America as a free country, land of opportunity, it's like we already fled. You know, fled socialist, communist countries, oppressive countries. If we come here, have to go back to that native country. That means we really have no place to go next. We must fight here. We must defend Americans. Speak up. People are afraid to be called racist. Lots of conservatives are, or even the moderate, you know, Democrats are. But this is our country. When you be silenced and even self-censored, we are going to lose this country to the radical communists, Marxists, and socialists. Guess what they will do? They will further take away your rights and freedom, and the freedom, liberty, have to prevail in this world. Otherwise, Singapore will be dominated by basically one-party dictatorship, something like a communist party or socialist party, and they will control everything. We all will be equally poor, and equally slaved, and the world will be very dark place. I don't want to allow that to happen on my watch. I'm gonna be speak up nonstop until the day I die to defend America, American dream for my children who were born in this country. I hope you will enjoy me in this fight. Absolutely, I'll be sure to link those social media links down in the show notes below for all of you to take a look and join her in this journey. I just want to conclude with some final remarks. You know, I've been sitting here this entire time, and I'm I'm just taking it all in, and I could not be more grateful to you, Lily, for the wonderful descriptions and the stories that really define your journey to achieving your American dream. It's people like you, Lily, who really inspire me and countless other people to enter public service and to fight for the things that. Previous generations have given us, and that things that we and values that we ought to protect.、Uh, I'm again truly thankful for your time, and I hope that we can do whatever we can to help you in this remarkable journey that you've embarked on. Well, thank you so far,、uh, so much to have me, Sherman. And you are young, you are very mature, and generations people like you actually give me hope. And giving up is not an option, because the life could get worse and worse in America if we just give up and keep our head down, or mind our own business. We have to be organized effectively at the grassroots level, just like what Mao did. Once he become absolutely powerful, like a god, he threw all the red guards under the bus. And a very sad story for that generation. And we don't want today our young people, include,、uh, including you know some young people believing you know Antifa, you know BLM organization, and the social justice warriors, and study history. We are the last stand on earth, like Reagan said. We need to speak up. We have to. Giving up is not option because we want to do this for ourselves. For our children, and for actually the liberty cause, and without freedom, you are just a slave. So thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you had a wonderful time listening to these incredible stories from Lily. Check out the links down in the show notes below, and subscribe to our email list and your favorite podcast app for more content from friends and fellow citizens. 
Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America always gets better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens. <laughs>